everyone, and welcome back to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I talk to some amazing disabled people and some amazing allies of the disabled community. Today, we are chatting to Victoria Jenkins. Victoria is the founder and CEO of Unhidden Clothing, which is an amazing adaptive fashion company that I absolutely think that you should check out. Their information will be in the description of this episode. Victoria has been someone who I feel like I've known about for such a long time now, but I've never actually spoken to properly. So I'm very excited to hop into this conversation. I have somebody on LinkedIn, uh, they did a post about being angry and how anger is always seen as a negative, but how it can be a force for good. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm furious furious at the fashion industry every day that they don't include us what i want to see is a mandate actually in policy that on all runway shows one in five models has to have disability visible or otherwise you know holding brands to account you know if you if your favorite fashion brand continues to not write alt text tell them off tell them and get all your mates to come and tell them whether i fail or not at least to see yeah disability represented in fashion week is is pretty good i mean it's still too late but it's very good Well, Victoria, thank you so, so much for joining us on The Wheelchair Activist. Um, We were just saying before I pressed record that I feel like I know you because I feel like I know you through social media and, you know, we've chatted a little bit over the years, um, but it's so nice to actually be talking with you. Yes. Hello. Isn't it mad though to say over the years? Because it's actually years plural. (laughs) I know I um, will get into your amazing fashion line, but I remember the first time I heard of you was when you were doing a pop-up um, store in Cambridge. Oh and gosh. I think that was, a, it was pre-pandemic for sure. Uh, no, that was last year. Was it? That yeah, it feels like ago. it was longer ago, but yeah, that was last, this was this time last year, I just started doing those. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, I have absolutely no perception of time. <laughs> With, uh, <laughs> with the pandemic, but I think it was sort of, it was definitely a long time that I feel that I've heard about you and your amazing company. Can you tell us a little bit about you and about that amazing company? I try, yes. Uh, so me, gosh, me, well, that's the thing. When I talk about my company, I have to talk about myself because it all comes from lived experience. So I studied fashion design graduated in 2008, which feels like a terribly long time ago, and predominantly worked as a garment technologist, which is kind of like a clothing engineer um, for years. And then in, in amongst the background of that, also became sort of disabled myself after, you know, the classic being a female and being young and being misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all. Uh, until the undiagnosed ulcer decided to burst and threaten my life. So that was that was my entry. Um, and, you know, even after lots of surgeries and recovering from all of those things, I didn't really think about how clothes were affecting me. You know, I just thought, right, well, I'm in recovery from surgery, so I'm just not leaving the house. Or I'm in pain today, so I just, I'll just wear pyjamas and I won't leave. Mm. And it was while I was in hospital with uh, another woman uh, who, she you know, she'd survived ovarian cancer, but she had two you know she had two stomas lying in her arm one in her chest she had to get everything off just for the doctors to come around and because she had so many things going on that was a lot of doctors predominantly male and I just thought gosh you know we're already feeling pretty vulnerable pretty rubbish and then you've got to strip off I know we all get immune to it we get so used to it but on the same ward actually there was a woman who was Muslim and I thought 
if she's got to take everything off as well, like the mental angry, I was like, there's ways around this. Why have we got hospital gowns that only open on the back when I'm in here for my abdomen? It, you know, so I've either got to put it down or lift it up. Ridiculous. So um, that started me looking at adaptive design and realising how much was missing and how much representation had to go and thinking, you know, I was getting very disillusioned. I was working with some incredible brands. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I even left a dream job at Victoria Beckham to really pursue Unhidden. Um, but I, you know, I just couldn't, how could I use everything that I'd learned, everything that I'd studied for all the struggle of working in fashion whilst being sick, how could I use it for something better? Um, and that's where Unhidden came from. And I, you know, it's one of those, my disability is a gift, really. It's given me something that gets me out of bed every day and makes a difference and sort of, yeah, something that I feel very privileged to be able to do. I think that that's such an amazing experience that you had in the hospital. And I think, you know, as people listen to that, they'll be thinking, oh, yeah, you know, why is that how it is? And I think I don't want to obviously speak for all disabled people, but I know so many disabled people feel sort of left out in fashion and that fashion doesn't include disabled bodies so it's for people who aren't aware of it what does adaptive clothing or adaptive fashion look like you mentioned about the person who was on the ward with you who had the two stomas but Mm -hmm. sort of what does it look like um well so I try and tackle it in a number of ways so and I use I like to use the phrase universal design because that's what I've tried to do so anyone can wear these garments it's not exclusion anyone can wear them disabled non-disabled but they have things built in that if you need them they're there so for example on the dress there's you know sort of it's like a double layer dress but there is a zip opening that you can access you can feed tubes through access your stoma you've not got to lift your dress up You've not got it, you know, it's really, really simple. It's not even that hard to do. That's what gets me so angry with the industry being very scared to broach it. I'm like, just start, you know, it's it's really not like that's an extra zip. That's not, it's not difficult, you know. Mm. Um, so, but I, yeah, so that's, so adaptive fashion is essentially clothes that are designed for different types of bodies. I don't like to use the word different because it's just bodies at the end of the day, in the same way that I hate the phrase plus size, because that's just size. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways of tackling it, but it's, it's, and it's basic. It is just designing for more bodies. You know, we've got finite resources now. We've got to be a bit smarter about how we design. And how did you make that transition from sort of, I mean, Victoria Beckham is a huge fashion name. I mean, she's Posh Spice. Um, so how what was that transition like for you from sort of working with the big company and a big fashion line like that to starting up your own? Uh, well, I think because I had, I think, briefly dabbled in being freelance before, um, a couple of years before. So I had, you know, I had a bit of, a, I had, did have a, a sort of, I knew I'd be very able to get freelance work. So it was very much a case of, okay, well, I'll be able to, you know, maybe one day a week, start this and then really what happened is I panicked about finances and I ended up pretty much working full-time for other people until the pandemic and then actually a lot more happened a lot quicker um but yeah it was it was a it was kind of one of those frustrating things of you just get the fear you know you've got to take every paid gig going and then obviously as someone who has to manage their health as well I kind of went from right well I'm going to quit full-time work so that I can focus on this and work part-time to I just worked 
full time. But I was I was a contractor rather than had any kind of protection. So um, stressful. It was quite a transition. But, you know, I've been in the industry for so long that I did have you know a fair amount of contacts. I've made a whole heap more uh, during the pandemic and social media is a huge part of that. Um, but, yeah, I think I mean, for me, it's very freeing. You know, if I start like I've got someone over my shoulder is going to tell me off. And, um, you know, because I'm not being forced to go to other people's offices because no one ever wanted to let me do remote work, even though I absolutely could. Um, You know, they didn't want to allow that. So once I didn't have to use up so much energy going to and from other people's offices, I had more energy. And that's why, you know, I think that people can see the results of that in the last 20 months. I've done so much more with Unhidden than in the previous four years because it was all I've been focusing on. So it's uh wow yeah it's been a change but you know it's a good one you know I am my own worst boss though I'm a terrible boss <laughs> there's no days off <laughs> but there oh, are yeah. naps <laughs> uh-huh. I think that's so interesting though and what do you think made that shift because I think the overall conversation in terms of disability during the pandemic is how badly disabled people have been treated by the government by society and all of those things but for you with your adaptive fashion how and that sort of blowing up in the pandemic where do you think that came from uh I think I mean I'm nothing if not stubborn tenacious and all the rest of it uh I think you know it's just it's been kind of it's slowly it built you know people were more aware of it they were more prepared to listen um you know the more you push you bet you eventually gain that credibility and I think before you know, I talked a lot about adaptive fashion and the need for it, but I hadn't really shown anyone what I'd done. So there was, you know, it's kind of constantly pointing at other people and saying, well, this is what they're doing. It's Mine's not going to look like that, but there it is. Go and check that out in the meantime. And I still refer people, you know, if someone asks me about jeans, I'll say, go and look at I Am Denim, off you go. Because there's lots, I can't do everything for everyone all of the time. And I have no issue with highlighting other brands because, you know, and Hidden's aesthetic is not going to be the same as everybody else's. Um, but I think it was also just I kind of got a bit more faith in myself, I think, over the last few months. You know, I thought, well, the time is now. If I don't do it now, I could put this off forever. And let's, you know, the worst that can happen is, I don't know, it would be terrible if it doesn't work out. <laughs> but I was kind of like, I'd rather try and fail than not try. And I don't think you ever really fail. Everything has a lesson. And there's things I did even last year that, you know, were very costly mistakes that I wouldn't do again. And but they, you know, they make they make you stronger as a business owner, but they also make you stronger as a company and as a brand. Uh, it's, it gets constant learning. You know, the work's never done. That drive that you've put into Unhidden, I think a lot of disabled people can really resonate with that sort of if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And exactly. I have to admit that that's sort of where my career, I guess, kind of started. I mean, it was when I was at university really and when I started experiencing discrimination for the first time and I thought well clearly no one gives a shit so (laughs) I'm going to have to do something about it and make sure that this doesn't happen to future disabled students so I I mean that really resonates with me Hmm. I also I had somebody on LinkedIn uh, they did a post about being angry and how anger is always seen as a negative but how it can be a force for good and I was like oh yeah no I'm furious furious at the fashion industry every Mm. day that they don't include us I am 
furious. So I'm like, fine, I will keep pushing and I will keep shouting. And at the end of the day, you're all already late. So whatever you do now, you don't deserve any praise or applause because you are late to the table, um, but you could just start. And what do you think is the main reason why people aren't starting? Do you think it's lack of awareness or is it lack of caring sort of what do you think that is I think it's a bit of both I mean from my own experience you know when I was at university there wasn't anyone with a disability in in the entire university um and even though mine was quite specialized in the center of London you know I even I have taught classes at LCF at London College of Fashion I appreciate not everyone knows the acronyms and you know they, there was stairs up down here there lifts out of order it, well, I didn't find it very accessible and I thought also, are they encouraging, you know, disabled people even to study fashion design? Are they given that same option in secondary school to then go, you know, so there's, I think that the fact that that doesn't happen means that people with a disability and chronic health issues don't end up working in the industry because they haven't been able to study it. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, it's not the nicest of industries and it certainly doesn't want to provide reasonable accommodations. I've worked in some fantastic places which did, but obviously there are quite a few that didn't. And I think, you know, so that's the problem. And these design teams, you know, they're some of them are so creative, really empathetic. But if they don't see disability within their head office, then it's not going to cross their mind. So there is definitely a level of ignorance. And the amount of students now compared to this time four years ago, I had maybe one a year would reach out and ask something. Whereas now it's at least once a week, sometimes twice. Someone says, can I speak to you? Unfortunately, I don't have the time now to speak to students one on one. So I try and sort of work out how I can speak to them all at the same time. But yeah, so I think, you know, the future of design, I think people will be more empathetic. And then there's, you know, head office and stuff. They're very rarely accessible. There's that as a problem as well. And then I think the big, the overriding thing is um, fear. I think fear of fear of getting it wrong uh, and being held to account for it. But I'm like, but you've tried with every, you know, you've tried to start including all the other marginalised groups. Disability is in all of those groups that you've already worked on. But So you continue to exclude us when you don't include us in those as well. Um, so yeah, I think fear it has a lot to do with it. Fear and ignorance, and not knowing where to start potentially. Yeah, I was going to mention that in terms of representation because I think there are definitely some companies that are getting it right in terms of inclusion of different types of people. I mean, I some of the brands that I've been looking at recently, and you know, I I won't name them maybe I should oh, but... I was going to ask you I was going to say name a brand because I never uh-huh. can I'm always like none of them <laughs> I think I don't know about ones that are necessarily doing it particularly well I'm sure those will come to me but I recently was on the All Saints website you know like looking for dresses and stuff because my vibe is very much skulls and you know I just nice. I love that leather jackets all of that but if there was one model who was above a size 10 on their website and didn't look exactly the same. You know, there was a little bit of ethnic and, you know, racial diversity, a bit, can't say there's much. But I just, I thought, how can I possibly imagine my body, which is impacted by my physical disability in that dress when I don't, look like her and I know that that applies to so so many of us but it's it's really frustrating though when you are trying to 
figure out like for disabled people like what's your style what's your aesthetic what do you like in terms of clothing and I was just thinking about what you said at the start of the conversation about like if you're in pain or if you're not leaving the house and just sort of that comfort of wearing things that like they don't look the most like appealing and they may not be things that you particularly love but they're what fits and what works but I'm sort of thinking you know how frustrating is it that there are companies that are making a little bit of headway with other types of inclusion like you mentioned Mm. but disability isn't and when you think about one in five of us has a disability you know what it's so frustrating it that is. fashion isn't inclusive. inclusive. Yeah. And actually, I used to work at All Saints, actually. So, uh, oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. On the menswear. Um, they're very lovely team. They were actually, they were really good. Um, I had surgery whilst I was there. And uh, they actually paid me in full pay for the entire month that I was off, which oh, no wow. one else ever did. So I was like, well, fair play, All Saints. <laughs> so was uh, All Saints. Yeah. Thanks for but, that. But, but uh, also, like- please, yeah, please let now. It's funny though, you know, everywhere that I've ever worked, I sort of, you know, over the years have been, hi, don't know if you've ever thought about this, but may- maybe you should think about this. And if you want to speak to someone who's doing it and can help come over here. Um, yeah, it's, well, I mean, the a thing I think, you know, there's people that are born with disabilities are some of the best designers because you've had to, from the get-go, had to redesign your wardrobes or go to tailors. And as you grow up, you sort of, you know, you know exactly how to make those trousers fit. And over time, but it doesn't even look like a hack. It doesn't look homemade. It's, you know, it works for you. But I think, you know, the, the other bit and the bit that really does resonate with me, obviously, with my own story is that 80% of us weren't born disabled. And, you know, there are people that overnight can't wear their entire wardrobe you know it's they either throw it all away or you know they hold on to it hoping that one day they'll get back to a point where they can um it's you know the the mental trauma as well and then suddenly yeah it's suddenly being told you can no longer dress the way you've always dressed your whole life I think is you know it's an aspect that people don't think about people think of fashion as being really frivolous but I'm like but you know you can't leave the house naked it's legally it's not allowed so uh, yeah, what if you can't get dressed? And, you know, yeah. even if you don't, even if you're not like fashion focused, you still want to have some say and choice in what you do actually wear. Like no one just says, well, I'll wear whatever's on the floor or whatever someone hands to me or whatever a charity will give to me. I don't think, you know, that's right. And that's why that's why I like to highlight other brands as well. It's not everyone's going to like my designs, my color palette and everything. I actively encourage and there's space for Every single brand that's out there now and that will ever be should all be designing this way anyway. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I think choice comes up so much when we talk about disability and sort of being robbed of choice. And it really comes through with fashion, I think, a lot of the time, because so many people's bodies are impacted by their condition, whether that's, you know, like, the way that their spine is shaped, like mine, or whether it's like you were saying with the examples of someone with a stoma who needs access. And if you're limited to like sweatpants and t-shirts, which I am wearing now and very happy with that, yeah. but, but if you didn't want to and you weren't happy with that, then that's incredibly unfair that you aren't being given the same options and you know i think 
you know, I'm interested to, I know this isn't specifically about disability, but in terms of sizing across mm-hmm. different companies, I mean, we, we know mate like so much. I have to admit, I'm a lot less familiar with men's fashion, but the sizing at different brands is in, incredibly different. Yeah. And I can tell you why as well. I mean, that's the, oh, please. My, my, so my whole job as a garment tech is about sizing and grading. Um, I've actually started doing a few TikToks on this, but I did like two and then uh, one blew up and one didn't. And then I haven't had the time to do any more. So essentially every brand will fit their designs either on a mannequin or a body. There's pros and cons to both. But each brand gets to decide what their base size is. So that could be, you know, it could be an 18. That's their base size. And then they have to choose how much they grade, which is like how much smaller or bigger it is between sizes. Now, not all brands grade with the same amount between sizes. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is they're better, like one brand size 18 might not be the other brand size 18. So if then if you've got variations in what each brand is as a size 18 and then they're not grading the same, sizes are wholly different. So that's that's one issue or one part of it. Then there is something called exclusivity sizing and that is where a brand will say it goes up to an 18 but it fits quite a lot smaller and they don't really do bigger sizing so because they don't want people who are a larger size to buy from that brand they don't want to be represented that way uh, it's a very disgusting practice and it's thankfully it's kind of coming to the end now but it, it was very much a thing and then there is vanity sizing which is almost more devious and that is a brand saying you know a size labeling a size 16 as a 14, because if you think you're smaller in that shop, you'll go back and spend more money there because that's where you're the smallest. And some brands actively do that on purpose. So sizing is an absolute pain in the butt to get right. It's impossible. It's this whole one size fits all doesn't work. This is why I'm very much believing people sort of getting back to altering things a little bit themselves or finding services that do, or, you know, also just holding these brands to account. You know, if they've got five orange bikinis in a size 12 and they don't all measure the same i mean that's the kind of thing where i'd reject it you know if i if i had that was my job was to measure these things and make sure that they were they fell within the tolerance they measured to how we wanted them to measure and then half the time shops and brands will just put them out on the shop floor anyway and hope for the best but if you get it right you know you're and you're really transparent which i am i publish you know what the garments measure on and hidden's page and then, you know, if you can't see the size of the measurements that you need, tell us and we'll, we'll either custom make it or we'll make sure that what you get does actually fit. Um, it is a bit costly to do it that way, but I think it's worth doing that way. And obviously, hopefully, as Unhidden grows, it will be less costly and it will just be part of how the business works. As you were describing that, I'm so annoyed with myself because there is one brand and I, I really like their clothes. It's not that I dislike them at all but i'm a size small there and it makes me feel good yeah but that's who told us that that was you know who told us that we had to be smaller to feel better but yeah i do i I apologize (laughs) no i but it i i feel like I'm, i'm stammering because i feel like it this makes so much sense and like you know you watch videos where someone tries to buy a size 16 jeans and five different stores and you see how differently they measure up but just sort of hearing about the reasoning that goes behind that from someone in the industry is so insightful and you know particularly what you said about 
keeping on going back to companies where you size one way as opposed to, oh, well, they, it, again, I, I'm slagging off All Saints, but I, and I'm sorry, All Saints, they're never going to sponsor me after this, but that's fine. <laughs> you never know, they might be like, we need to make it up to her, let's quickly send her some stuff. I mean, maybe, by all means, but I bought this really beautiful skirt from them recently for my um, holiday that we were talking about. And I ended up buying a 14, which is not what I would typically describe myself as, but it was a zip fastening. It wasn't an elasticated waist, which if you are a wheelchair user, is something that's incredibly helpful to have an elasticated waist. And I tried it on, but before I tried it on, I thought, if this doesn't fit, I might actually cry because it was called a 14 mm-hmm. and it it did fit, thank God. But <laughs> I was genuinely, you know, thinking I am going to feel bad about myself if this doesn't fit because it's called that. It might be the exact same measurement mm. as a small in another store, mm. but it the perception that comes with those sizings is so I don't even know what the right word is but it's very manipulative yes it is and I I don't think men struggle with it as much but they still do as well you know like they just have small medium and large and you're gonna think well that's not very much to go on is it like and who who said that was a size small that might be you know an extra extra small rather than a small and it's like this whole oversized look that when you get to larger sizes is no longer oversized it is just tight fitting and that's you know that's bad grading as well but yeah it's it's frustrating because it's it's on us really to kind of hold brands accountable because they're not going to change it without us saying Mm. but I would say also on that you know this another reason for ignoring what the size label might say is if something would come in from a factory and it was measuring incorrectly you know maybe they made everything a bit too big or a bit too small uh, but we couldn't, you know, not take the shipment. We might then actually relabel everything so that it matched closer. So there are all sorts of issues. People might subcontract. There are so many issues. Why I just say to people, you know, if you if it feels comfortable and you feel like you look good, seriously ignore that label because a lot of the time it is meaningless. But you know, we're all the same. You know, everyone feels better when you're like, oh, I'm a bit smaller in this place. Like everyone's the same. But it's you know that's that's a challenge that we've all got to take on as well as saying stop lying about yourself Mm. and I think particularly for disabled people like we've been talking about whose bodies are not able I mean there's so many reasons why people can't fit the impossible standards that society holds for you know what a beautiful body should look like and there's I mean I don't know how anyone can naturally like attain that and it's so contradictory and I could go on for days about this but particularly I think for disabled people who have a condition that impacts their body that there is nothing you can do anything about you know it is what it is it's shaped how it's shaped and access to stomas or port lines or whatever it is they are what they are and I think that's why it's so amazing that there are brands like Unhidden that are going to a method of like, you know, forget what, you know, is a small, medium, large, whatever, but here are the measurements. Here's the access that you may need. Here's the fit that you may need. Because I think 
last time I was on your site, you know, you had like seated trousers, you know, so these are more comfortable if you're sitting all day and, you know, just things like that, that really make a disabled person feel represented and like that these clothes were designed with them in mind and sort of like you were saying it's not necessarily difficult to do because nothing that you've sort of said that unhidden does is anything that all brands can't do exactly exactly that's why I get really frustrated with them like don't get me wrong there's a lot of thought goes into everything that I do but I'm like you telling me you can't just have a few more elasticated waistbands come on and they can't at least you know use their best-selling trousers and then make the seated version easy. It's really, really not like once you've got the pattern, once you've got the block, it's not difficult to do. Um, I do love that you refer to you've been on the website. I do want to just say, and I feel like I have to say it every time. I know the price point is where it needs to be. Um, I'm well aware of that. But, you know, because I have no money, uh, I did. I thought made to order, you know, then I'm only making what people actually order. But obviously within that, I'm buying fabric by the meter, which is more expensive shipping all of that but this is where you know hopefully invest well i have some investors coming on board which then means i can buy stock which then brings the price right well not right down it brings it down mm. um and then i actually have a profit margin uh, but you know i i someone put a, wrote a press release the other day and used the word affordable and i was like uh, we're not putting that word against unhidden because i know that i cost more um i mean i also you know i refuse to work with sweatshops I'm using dead stock fabric, but I do, yeah. Always the caveat I feel like I need to say to people mm. is I know the price point isn't where it needs to be. I'm doing my absolute best to bring it down, but I am but one person and it yeah. requires resources in the form of money from other people before we can do yeah. anything better. No, but I think, you know, we can get, we could do, you know, a whole podcast on the purple pound, which, you know, for people who aren't aware, it's the spending potential of disabled people and families with a disabled person in it in the UK. And it's an incredibly vast amount. But, you know, there is a research that shows that when companies make an effort to be inclusive towards disabled people, they gain brand loyalty, you know, customers will continue to come back to them. And, you know, I have, you know, from my position, which is a very privileged one, you know, I work full time in a well paid job. So, you know, that's something that's within my price range. I understand is not within someone else's, but for me, I would much rather buy from a company that has done some sort of effort, whether that's, you know, in the products or in the marketing or whatever it may be that includes disability because I know that they care about me and they care about my money essentially um so but I think that's really great that you do acknowledge that and I think as we're getting into more conscious consumerism you know by people choosing to not shop at stores that we know do use sweatshops and do pay you know children tiny tiny amounts of money per day i mean i might as well just say you know primark for example is (laughs) is somewhere that i personally as a consumer choose not to shop i'm aware that it's really affordable and it's you know what is available to a lot of people and you know Mm. i've heard that they have really cool harry potter pajamas which i think is awesome but it's not where i it doesn't align with my values personally yeah. and i have the privilege to make that choice yeah. so i think that that's really important that you mention that 
But I want to talk about investors, and mm. I really want to talk to you about London Fashion Week. Okay. So tell us about London Fashion Week, which might have already happened by the time this goes live. Um, but tell us what your plans are for Fashion Week. Well, uh, gosh. So, I mean, it'd be interesting if this comes out after when I can be like, oh, listen to me, tired. Um, so, I, you know, I did my first Fashion Week event, you know, as the first adaptive brand to join the British Fashion Council, which shouldn't be a thing and it annoys me. But um, so I did my first event in February and I didn't have the money for a full runway show uh, so I aired a film instead. And also there are, you know, being a member of the British Fashion Council, they have rules. So you have to pay the models X amount of money. There's no volunteering. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, so it was good practice in February. Then I did a mini event in June, um, which was just very, very small and very quiet. Whereas this is first full runway show. Um, there's not one, there's not two, there's three collaborations in it. Amazing. Uh, which, you know, just like, oh, just throw more in. Why not? Um, because I want it to I want to show that there is diversity and choice within even what I want to offer. And I think that's kind of my long-term goal for Unhidden is, you know, there can be Unhidden's aesthetic. And then there's other people at Unhidden showing like their style and their colour and fat. And it, you know, it can all work that way. Um but before I even get to London, I've got to go to America. So I'm showing in uh, Nashville on the 10th. Um, as part of fashion is for everybody and then the next day I fly over to New York and I have just two pieces that I'm showing in runway of dreams and then I fly back do a quick little cheeky pitch to nine VC funds and then the, like two days later is Unhidden Show uh, which you know after all these years of developing it this this season this time round having slightly more prep not enough prep time but slightly more um, you know, I've got household brands that I grew up with, you know, it's at Kurt Geiger's head office. And that was off the back of one of my small investors knew someone at Selfridges and he sort of put the, put the line out saying, guys, we need to get invested. You know, we need to start helping and supporting this brand. And all these people just sort of were, you know, offering help services and sponsorship. And, you know, just sort of like I was sat on a meeting with Kurt Geiger just saying, this is very surreal. I'm in my basement, sat on my sofa talking to the CEO. <laughs> like, and he was absolutely amazing. And I was like, you know, this, it just felt, it feels very much more like a kind of finally being actually, you know, it's still tentative and it's still slow, but actually still being embraced by people in the industry. Um, even though I've been in the industry, you know, my whole career, it feels like Unhidden is going to start being included. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a whirlwind, but it's really exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared, but, but I, you know, I've had to, this morning, I was like, what have you done to yourself? Why? Why did you think this was a good idea? If you go wrong, this is all on you. And everyone, like almost on a global stage, everyone's going to be like, you messed it up. But, you know, at least I tried. I think that I'd rather have, you know, tried and get something wrong than not try. And yeah, so, yeah. I think my counter argument to that is think about all of the disabled people, whether they're interested in fashion, sort of, externally or if they think that fashion isn't for them who are going to see that your brand is being showcased at London Fashion Week and it, they'll feel wow this is finally being taken seriously and like you said you know Kurt Geiger is a big name and if they're getting behind you 
people will think, and I certainly felt this when I saw the announcement, was like, wow, things could be changing. And that's because of something that you are doing. And that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's, to be fair, when I say I wish I wasn't doing it, it is just reminding myself of the impact it has for others, whether I fail or not, at least to see, yeah, disability represented in Fashion Week is... It's pretty good. I mean, it's still too late, but it's very good. And actually, I mean, this September, there's also, I should, you know, I'm going to plug them. There's London Represents, which Samantha Bullock is part of. And unfortunately, because I, I asked the BFC for the 19th and they were like, no, you've got the 17th. So Samantha's show for London Represents is also on the 17th at the same time. So, you know, like I wanted to go and watch everybody because I took part in hers in February. Um but I'm still on a panel with them. I think this is, that's allowed, I'm allowed to say that. I'm on a panel with them earlier in the day and then I've got to hop across town to my own show. But, you know, she's got a huge array of, you know, the best and the brightest in the UK adapted to scene, um, design scene even, and other people from, you know, around the world and Europe as well. So I think this September, there's like in a big explosion. It's all on the same night as well. Big explosion of uh, a much larger conversation that I think, yeah, it's not like we're all going to do it this year and then we don't do it again. It's going to be, this is now, we're here every time in some capacity. I certainly can't afford to put on a fashion show every season. And it's not very sustainable to do it either. And again, I'm tired. So I'll do, a, you know, I'll do some kind of digital something every February and June and then every September I'll do a show. So that's kind of, that's the, that's the plan. But yeah, I think this, this year is really going to be the shift. And when you are talking about sort of planning a, fashion show I think you know images from like House of Gucci and you know like Devil Wears Prada like stuff like that comes to mind but what does that actually look like you know where are you finding people to showcase how do you pick those people how do you pick what pieces sort of you know what is the reality of Um, a runway show gosh it's you know there's I have I have slight um, sympathy for brands that say we're just going to show on the same size body it is a lot easier um, but in that you know if it was easy then it, it shouldn't be easy it should be hard uh, so I usually start with uh, the design processes I start with what shapes do I want what color you know what do I actually want this to look like and then let's build the access in like what would that need to actually have to then work for this condition can I can I make it work for more than one condition can I try and build some things in as a standard which I am you know anything that has a pocket in both pockets are going to have access that tubes can go through easy that just comes as standard whenever you buy from an internet it has those in um and then when it comes to people so you know I've spent a lot of years just engaging with people in the community anyway so some of these people have blown up and gone you know everywhere and some of them you know are sort of just that you know they've been brand ambassadors and absolutely adore them but you know because of this show because the the money to pay all the models is coming from investors I had to make you know the business decision rather than that I want to put all my mates in a show decision and that meant you know I kind of had to use you know people with larger followings because at the end of the day the more eyes on it the better it is However, and this is, I've, you know, I've spoken about it before, uh, when it comes to disabled men on social media, there's just not very many of them. And they usually actually require, uh, well, actually, everyone's getting paid the same in this show. Absolutely, everyone's getting paid the same. And some people said, oh, you don't have to pay me. I'm like, no, I do, because the BFC, like, they check. Um, so so um, I, I did have to use, I worked with Zebedee, which, who I've, you know, I obviously know the founders, I've spoken with them before. Uh, we also have Shelby, who is coming from Sea Talent. 
And, uh, you know, I'm on the shadow board of and represented by Reflect the Agency. So a couple of people coming from there. So it, it's sort of a combination of approaches, really. But what's been interesting this time around is the amount of talent agencies emailing saying, have you cast? I'm like, yeah, every, I don't need any more models. They're all cast. What are you talking about? And now, But I, what I don't do, I don't say that immediately. What I say is, oh, yes, I only use disabled models. Who have you got on your books? <laughs> And the amount of them like, oh, we don't have anyone like that. I'm like, cool, you're not for me. Bye. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be disability at the exclusion of all others. But I think this year I'm like, no, no, I'm not giving, you know, I'm not giving this space and this platform to people that would have it anyway. This comes to people that haven't had it, deserve it and need to, you know, they need to be represented. Um, but yes, it gives me, I, there is a little bit of me that's like, I'm going to make you feel really uncomfortable first. <laughs> because I can and then mm. just say you know come back to me with a portfolio when you've got a more diverse portfolio but I think that that's so impactful and what a way to sort of use your use your power for good is a really cheesy way of saying it but it brings to their attention that sometimes you do need disabled models and yeah. if you're not actively searching for different types of people then you're not really serving yeah and I mean I'm so excited when you said Shelby I just think I cannot wait to see her in a runway show um so happy that she was able to take part so happy I mean I've had a hit list of people for such a long time and then to be Mm. able to get most of them like I'm gonna be starstruck on the day you know (laughs) Uh but I think that that I mean, it's so important though to you know, as a business owner as well, that you're making these decisions from sort of an ethical standpoint, sort of what feels right to you and the brand's values, but also you know what does make business sense, and you know, getting people who do have the following is really important, particularly when you're trying to grow a brand and you know there are so many amazing disabled influencers and models who you know have really been dying for an opportunity like this and you know more and more hopefully will start to come about but I think it's really interesting when you mentioned disabled men sort of in that space Mm. because disabled men can often sort of I don't know. I don't want to say dominate because that feels like the wrong word, but they're very much involved in a lot of different areas in the disability community. And, you know, I'm, I'm really aware that on this podcast, I do largely interview disabled women. You know, there are disabled men, of course, who I interview, um, who, you know, absolutely deserve to have their voices and their stories heard. But I think it's really interesting that within fashion that's not really the case I think there's you know there's still that element of maybe they don't want to use the word disabled they don't want to be labeled that way you know which is absolutely fair enough um and then there's you know if if no one's ever asked you to model before you know as I mean as a woman as a man I think for women you know fashion and women we're kind of like yeah I'll have a go but I think for men that does take it's a bit different for them and you know there's I mean generally in the world there are not enough menswear brands you know you think where a bloke's got to go and shop from and there's H&M All Saints you know like there's you know there's Primark but there's not like a sort of a high street recognized brand that you know do you know what I mean like there's not there's not yeah. something that's got like that cult following for men that's afford you know in this sort of affordable price bracket that's outside fast fashion so yeah I just think there's you know there's not enough menswear anyway but 
yeah, I think maybe they just don't think it's for them or that, you know, I think as well, unless you go and have a look on the website, I think, you know, when you say adaptive fashion, everyone's like, oh, it's going to look gross because traditionally, you know, some brands have, it's been very Teflon, Velcro, a little, you know, it just looks like you're wearing a hospital gown outside of the hospital pretty much. But, you know, those are all served a purpose and a function. They're, they should exist. They're fantastic. I will preface that with, it doesn't mean that they should stop making those things. But I think, you know, again, it comes down to choice. Yeah. And I think it's about that ability to express yourself and to, you know, sort of have that creativity and that choice. I mean, I, this is quite different, but I feel like it's in a similar vein, but you know, when you're a kid and you get the, you know, the booklet of like what color you can have your wheelchair, there are loads and loads of choices. But then when you're an adult, you get four choices and they're all boring colors. Yeah, they're all gray and blah. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's sort of we need to not think of adaptive fashion as not creative or not attractive mm. or not exciting because yeah. it's been designed with a practical purpose in mind. That doesn't mean it can't be, you know, exciting and interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, I I I mean, I know it's it is different but I mean one of the pieces I have from you is the t-shirt that you did with in collaboration was it with the stroke oh, association with, yes with Nikki from style for stroke yeah I think they're still on sale I don't know when he's closing it I think you can still get those um I only ever got one in the no I've got two that's a lie I've got two <laughs> but I wanted one of all of them but you know on a budget startup I can't afford to buy one of them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe next month if he's still got them up but yeah that was yeah no I mean that's they're not adaptive, but, you know, they're still, they've still got a message behind them. And mm. the three charities that they raised funds for all do really important work. So, it, you know, and it meant a lot to work with Nick on that as well. Like, And there's there's another T-shirt collaboration I'm doing with a company that, again, they're not adaptive-ish, but they've got one heck of a message on them and they will be shown in Fashion Week. So I'm very excited for those. Oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, there's lots of surprise. I mean, the press release is going to come out uh, hopefully tomorrow, might be next week, that has like all of the collaborations in there, as well as some of the sponsors. And then I think it goes out this week as well. I don't know, you may, you may well have seen it, that, um, you know, I have the licensing rights to Paw Patrol. So I'm going to be doing Paw Patrol Kids Adapt. Yes. Uh, but I also have SpongeBob. So I'll be doing Ooh. SpongeBob next year. Honestly, looking at all the stuff that you're allowed to do with it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a creative dream. It really is. Um, and it's also just, I mean, it's fun. You know, I think mm. a lot of people think, you know, adaptive and disability is also serious. And like, this mm. is meant to be, fun exciting creative and as you say like the creative challenge of it sort of you take a load of design students and say okay you can have that exact range that you've designed there now it's got to work on these bodies mm. and just and just watch them go oh but it's interesting it makes you think in different ways it makes you start to think about fabrics and even the construction techniques used you know i, I mean obviously on purpose i use the construction methods that make the clothing last longer because there's no point in making it all cheaply and then selling it and then it falls apart and then you have to buy it again. That's kind of, you know, it's the whole buy cheap, buy twice thing. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of younger students will get really excited now by the idea of, oh, okay, that's, I haven't thought, I haven't thought about that, but I'm going to give that a go because it is, you know, we can't reinvent the skirt. Skirts exist. But how can we design a skirt that everybody can wear? Now there's a challenge. I really love that. So 
we we've talked a lot about sort of like the difficulties within the industry and you know the conversation that's hopefully going to be started with well continued furthered with the various shows at London Fashion Week this year but what would you say are the main hopes or ambitions that you have for the industry in terms of inclusion of disabled people what do you want to see um, well, this is why I sit on half a million committees, really. What I want to see is a mandate, actually, in policy that on all runway shows, one in five models has to have a disability, visible or otherwise. So that's my hope that I can push that through, because I think, unfortunately, unless we force it, it's not going to happen. You know, they've, they're already late. They've already delayed. They're still not doing it. Let's make everybody. And if it, you know, normalise it, it needs to be alongside. You know, we don't, I know I'm doing a, a disability only runway. But really, you know, but it's at least sort of alongside everyone. I think disability needs to be inside with the same with everybody, you know. Um, and for as long as we keep othering, then we're just, you know, it's sort of, you know, because the next thing, you know, we'll be doing disabled fashion week. And that's not that's not progress. That's uh, that's exclusionary. So, yeah, my hope is that more brands are going to get on board with the models that they use, because at the end of the day, we don't, you know. It'd be lovely if Gucci brought out an adaptive fashion range, but how many of us can afford it, in all honesty? So it's more important that brands like that hire within head office people with disabilities and the creative and to use models and make sure that their content is accessible and that, you know, they're advertising and everything else. So I think um, my hope is that that will become more commonplace and that it won't just be once a year, it'd be every season, it'd be more than just the brands that already do it, it'd be brands that haven't done it before, that don't then chase the press, because uh, I'm not here for I'm not here for brands suddenly going, oh, look, we've got one disabled person on our on our runway, we deserve press. It's, I've seen it happen before, and it, I, I think, I won't name the brand, they're a fast fashion brand, I was not amused, and they actually got told off by the British Fashion Council, because they used all this London Fashion Week, and they're like, you're not, you're not a member of the BFC, so you're not officially on the schedule so you are not allowed to associate yourself <laughs> and also wow. you only need two models so have a think but uh, yeah it's it's interesting but uh, yeah I have a lot of hope for the future it feels like after years and years and I have to thank the people that came before me and the people that will come after you know there's a lot of us that have been working and fighting really hard for years in this space some people for decades um and yeah finally I just want to see it continue and grow and what can our listeners do to support you in that? Whether they're able to buy from Unhidden, which I think you should if you can. But what else? <laughs> what what can our listeners do in terms of trying to move the conversation around um, fashion? I mean, we can all be very pesky and sort of tag adaptive brands on non-adaptive brands' pages and content and say, you should do what these people are doing and speak to them. Because most of us adaptive you know designers we also you know it's not our well it is actually sometimes our full-time job even though we don't get paid but it's very much you know we'd be open to designing for other brands if they need or consulting at the very least so and I think yeah just sharing content liking and commenting on it does like you know the more the more eyes we get on it the better it is and you never know who that next person that sees it who it is you know it could be the next Karl Lagerfeld for example you know you never know who's going to see it and especially with me right now, I need people with deep pockets to see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, holding brands to account, you know, if, you, if your favourite fashion brand continues to not write alt text, tell them off. Tell them and get all your mates to come and tell them because, they're, you know, they are having to be far more reaction, re, reactionary now. 
and you know it's it's constantly they can't just keep putting it off you know they're all yeah can't keep putting it off and we have more power than we think we do what a beautiful positive note to end on thank you so so much victoria for joining me and talking to me about all things fashion i feel like i could ask you a million more questions but this has been an absolute pleasure so thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to finally speak to you in the flesh yes. well, not in the flesh but sort of <laughs> yeah okay. a good it halfway counts. Counts. <laughs> amazing thank you so much thank you so so much for listening to this episode of the wheelchair activist with victoria jenkins from unhidden clothing Um, please go show her brand some love and some support Uh, we want to see more progress being made in the fashion industry to include disabled people and we want to support brands like this as much as we can i want to remind you that we do have a gofundme set up for this podcast we are 100 committed to accessibility here at the wheelchair activist And we want to make sure that every bit of content is inclusive and accessible to all. Every donation allows us to continue doing this work, which includes captioning each and every episode and making it available on YouTube. Thank you so, so much to everyone who has donated so far and has allowed us to continue making this amazing podcast. Please give this podcast a share far and wide so everyone can enjoy the amazing content. This podcast has been hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, produced by me and Isabel Anderson, and edited by Joe Tapper. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to see you in the next one.